0: Hello internet, my name's Colin Taylor, I'm the pastor at Trinity Church Woodcroft. Uh, we, the sermon you're about to hear was from our launch Sunday on 24th of March 2019, but unfortunately the recording didn't work, so I'm going to preach the sermon for you, just for you, again. So, uh, we just had read to us uh, John chapter 3, um, where Jesus meets Nicodemus. So I'll read John chapter 3 and then listen to this, because the Bible is better than me. Let's go for it. What is the most surprising conversation you've ever had? I love um, conversations you have with children because it gives you real insight into how they see the world. When our daughter was five, she she wanted to draw the world or something like that. And I said, well, have you ever seen Earth from space? No, she said. I've never been to space. You know, she said it very matter of factly as if I might genuinely think she'd been to space. But conversations are great, aren't they? I mean, alongside seeing what someone does in action, conversations are how we get to know someone. Conversations are what create relationships. When you say, let's meet up for a coffee or a drink, what you really mean is, let's meet up for a conversation. And when you are out of that cafe, how many times have you found yourself leaning over and turning your ear to listen in to someone else's conversation sometimes they're surprising, aren't they? Because they give us insight into real people, real life stories. Well, the Apostle John, who's the author of this biography, of what we call the Gospel of John, has recorded some of the conversations that Jesus had. And each conversation has got surprises. In each conversation, Jesus causes the person he's having it with to rethink how they see Jesus, God, and the world. Now, I don't know where you're up to with Jesus, but can I ask you to put to one side for now any preconceptions and see what we discover from listening to this conversation that Jesus has with a religious man, Nicodemus. So keep uh, Bible open at John 3 and follow along to um, check the conversation for yourself. So verse 1, Nicodemus is a Pharisee on the ruling council, so he's a senior religious guy. You know, Israel at that time was under Roman occupation, and the Pharisees were all about protecting and promoting um, the distinctive Jewish way of life, following God's laws from the Old Testament. Plus the Pharisees had a whole heap of other religious rules to help you follow the religious rules, and then they had rules to help you follow those rules. They loved a rule. Nicodemus opens the conversation, verse two. Rabbi, we know that you are from a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus is a religious bloke, and he wants to keep Jesus firmly in that religious bloke category, calling him Rabbi or teacher. It's like you know if you've ever really fancied someone, and And then they friend zone you. They make it really clear that in their mind you aren't in that category that you'd like to be in. Friend zoned. Well Nicodemus knows Jesus has been performing signs. So that's another way of saying supernatural miracles. So Jesus must be from God. But all Nicodemus expects from the conversation is more of what he's already got. Teaching. So I wonder is that... The box that you have Jesus in? Because I reckon most people think there's something intriguing about Jesus. So do you think he's just a wise man? A good man with some helpful things to say? Jesus had more for Nicodemus. More for us than just teaching to talk about. So uh, we've got three sort of headings, points, if you like. So what, why, and how. So first of all, what. Jesus tells Nicodemus, the religious man, that what he needs is not more religion. He needs a fresh start. So John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, Nicodemus was a religious man, um, or a God-botherer, as my friend used to call me. So he would used to be thinking in this kind of kingdom of God sort of way. By kingdom of God, Jesus means God's good, right and generous rule over people and the world. So God's good, right and generous rule. Now Nicodemus would get that, but most of us aren't like, oh, how was your week? Yeah, it was okay, but the children have not been behaving like citizens of the kingdom of God. Most of us don't talk that way. But I think all of us have got a strong sense of what the good life is. And we're all trying to live it. I mean, what are your plans for the week coming up? And are you dreading them or are you looking forward to them? Well, I think it all depends on how well they line up with our idea of A good life. Each of us is religious about our work, our families, our money. All areas of our lives. Helping create that good life. We don't think in terms of the kingdom of God, probably. But all of us do want things like peace, justice, approval, happiness. And we can all think of areas in the world... And in our own families, where we would like to see peace and justice, more of it. Throughout the Bible, God gives us little glimpses of what life looks like when his kingdom is in full effect. And it is that good life we dream of, but on steroids. No tears, no pain, no injustice. So really, in a way, we're all looking to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought he understood the kingdom of God. He thought that if he just followed enough rules, had the right teaching, he'd be a shoe in for the kingdom of God. But what he failed to see was that none of us can get there by ourselves. See, the life we're made for is living with God as our king, as our good and rightful ruler but we reject the kingdom of God and we replace it with the religion of ourself which makes you wonder what a religion based on me would be like everyone shave their heads so they look bald and talk in a pommy accent the trouble is every one of us has well if we put it in terms of a conversation every one of us has said to God no thanks I'll take it from here I know what's best for me and my life, so I'll be king or queen of my own life. And that has consequences, consequences in the here and now, it affects our relationships, our society and culture, the natural world we live in, and it has consequences for our standing with God. In spiritual terms, on our own, all of us, even a religious bloke like Nicodemus, All of us are spiritually dead. So we need to be spiritually born again. We need to be given a new life and a fresh start by God. And in verse 7, if you have a look there, Jesus ticks Nicodemus off for not knowing this. Because as a religious bloke, Nicodemus should have known God promised to do this in the Old Testament. The bit of the Bible from before Jesus was born, that Nicodemus would have known inside out. And there's a bit in Ezekiel, chapter 36, uh, verse twi- uh, sorry, Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26, says this, God promises, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Nicodemus didn't need more teaching, he didn't need more religion, he needed a new heart. However much good stuff we have done or will do, we can't fix ourselves. To get this new heart we must be born again. So how can this be, Nicodemus asks verse 9, that's our next heading. How, how do we get to be born again? Well like our natural human birth it's not something that we do it's something that's done to us. Being spiritually reborn is something God does to us when we believe in Jesus. In verse 14 and 15 Jesus says something that sounds sounds strange to us but Nicodemus would have got it straight away. So verse 14 Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. So Jesus is on about the curious case of the snakes in the desert, from the book of Numbers, chapter twenty-one. God's people had escaped from Egypt; they're camping in the wilderness, and God's given them has given them everything they need, and so of course they whinge about it. So God punishes them with a plague of snakes. Some get bit and die. We'll pick it up in chapter 21, verse 7. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. When anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. A snake, a symbol of evil, of poison, of death, was to be raised upon a pole and looked at so that they might be saved. And so the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, That he is going to be raised up on his pole of death. Going to suffer and die on a Roman cross. So that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. But again, how? How does death bring birth? How does Jesus dying make us born again? Well, remember how Nicodemus friend-zoned Jesus into being just a teacher. Well, Jesus reveals in his conversation, he is much more. So John chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. See, Nicodemus had put Jesus on an equal footing as himself, calling him teacher. But when Jesus calls himself Son of Man, he is putting himself on an equal footing with God. It's the most controversial thing anyone has ever said to Nicodemus. I've noticed Australians are not keen on people who really big know themselves, are they? On a tall poppy. So if you get stuck next to somebody at a wedding reception, say, or at work, who drones on and on about having their gap year, they learned survival skills when they spent doing charity work in the rainforest, you'd be pretty bored. But if that person turned out to be Bear Grylls, you might not find the conversation as boring. And you'd certainly be thankful to be stuck with him, If that same person, if he crash-landed in a rainforest and needed some survival skills. These conversations with Jesus, according to Jesus himself, they aren't just conversations with a religious teacher, as Nicodemus believes. They are conversations with God. So what is God telling Nicodemus here? And what is he telling us through this conversation? Jesus is pointing us to his willing sacrifice of himself on the Roman cross. See, Nicodemus would have been well aware of his own guilt. He'd have followed rules, offering animal sacrifices himself at the temple. And a sort of physical way of showing that sin causes death, that sin's serious and needs pain for. But those sacrifices were just symbolic. They never truly dealt with the problem of our rebellion against God. Jesus is saying that the cross will be enough to take away the guilt of Nicodemus. Enough to take away my guilt. Enough to take away the guilt of the whole world. On the cross, Jesus took All the consequences of our rebellion against God onto himself. And because he was perfect, because he didn't have any of his own wrong to be punished for, his death for us on the cross pays the price for our rebellion. It gets us off the hook, washes us clean from guilt. No more sacrifice is needed. Jesus' death on the cross wins us, verse 15, eternal life in him. So Jesus' free offer to Nicodemus, to us, is that when we come face to face with God, he will see Jesus' record of loving God perfectly, instead of our record of prideful rebellion against him. And all we have to do is accept this free gift of forgiveness by faith, by believing in Jesus. Now, faith and belief tend to mean different things in today's English often we think of faith or belief as believing something is true despite all evidence to the contrary or we think of faith as believing something because you have to believe because there is no evidence for it at all but biblical faith the kind of faith Jesus is calling for here is to rely on him to rely on him faith is a re- biblical faith is a reasoned decision on the basis of the evidence on the basis of eyewitness reports on the basis of experience of conversations a decision a reasoned decision to rely on jesus to save us in a similar way you look at a chair and weigh up if it's worth sitting on or not whether you think it's going to hold you up you make a reasoned decision Based on the evidence before you. There's enough manuscripts and archaeological evidence to give us confidence this gospel account of John, uh, who was one of Jesus' closest associates, is true. So the best way to check out Jesus is to read a gospel for yourself. Uh, if you come along to Trinity Church Woodcroft, all of our regulars are being given a pack called Word One-to-One. And basically it's just John's Gospel with a load of observations and questions next to the text. And it's there for both of you to see. It's all transparent, so you know you're not getting manipulated or anything like that. If you'd like to read one of those with uh, one of our people, uh, come along and we'll sort that out for you. Our experience is that when you do rely on Jesus, when you put your faith in him, he keeps his promise and you experience new born again life knowing free forgiveness knowing the goodness of being in right relationship with God and the promise of perfect eternal life forever you know we're launching this church not to help us all be more religious, not to help us all earn our way to God with what we do for him but we're starting this new church to help as many people as possible Know what God has done for us in Jesus and together grow in our relying on Jesus and living in grateful thanks for being born again, for being given eternal life by grace. But why? Our final heading. Why do we have to rely on Jesus to be saved? Because God loves us. See, we know people through conversation, but we also know them through their actions. This is how we know what God is like. See, God's very nature is love, pure goodness. And part of being perfectly loving is to be perfectly fair and just. Our response to his perfect goodness has been to reject his love and go our own way. And Jesus says our default position is that we deserve to be condemned. And yet, God has loved us. Not with an airy-fairy, warm, fuzzies kind of love, but in a very particular way. So John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his own one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the way God has loved us. By Jesus, God the Son, becoming one of us, choosing to suffer and die so that we don't have to. So if this is how God, in his infinite love and wisdom, if this is how God has decided to save us, if he's decided giving up his son was how we must be saved, why would Nicodemus... Why would any of us think that there is another way? At unimaginable cost to himself, Jesus has done everything we need for us to be forgiven and have the promise of perfect, joy-filled, eternal life. That's the gift on offer. All we have to do is to believe, to rely on Jesus. Jesus. Well, I know it's not even Easter yet, but just think about Christmas. How do you do gifts at Christmas? Uh, Growing up, I've got five sisters and a brother, and we usually had some foster kids too. And the gift opening on Christmas Day would take place in its entirety between 7 and 7.30am on Christmas Day morning for all those people. It was like an explosion in a wrapping paper factory. But then uh, when... We got married and there was a lot to get used to at Christmas. My wife Sharon is used to making it last days. And so you end up on New Year's Eve still with some really exciting looking gifts wrapped up still under the tree. The perfect gift of being born again is there waiting for every one of us. Don't leave it unwrapped. It's the gift I desperately need. It's the gift all of us desperately need. We can all keep religiously reaching for the good life. But that's not the solution God has given. Jesus is the solution. Believe in him. Put your faith in him. Rely on him. And as you do, he gives you new life. Born again to start enjoying eternal life with him in the driving seat. So what conversation will you have with Jesus? If you're already a born again follower of Jesus, my prayer is that this church will help you keep saying to God, I am born again. My identity is in Christ, so I know I've got eternal life and I will live my life for you. In grateful thanks. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today. Will you friend zone Jesus? Will you keep him at arm's length? Just say teacher. You have some interesting things to say. Or. Will you say. I believe in you. I put my faith in you. I rely on you. And be born again. For most people, it takes a good while of looking into Jesus, checking his claims to get to that conversation. And as I say, the best way to look into Jesus is through his word in the Bible. And we can help you find someone to read John's Gospel with. Uh, But just in case you're ready to have that conversation right now, uh, I'm going to say a prayer. Uh, It's nothing magical about it. It's just a way of helping you put into words what is on your heart Only pray this if you mean it, and you don't have to be out loud, it can be in your head, whatever it is. So here it goes. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm aware that in different ways you've been seeking me. I've heard you talking with me as I've listened into your conversation. I believe that your claims are true, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that if I believe and rely on you, You will give me new life. Thank you for your loving offer of forgiveness, freedom and fulfilment. Now, I turn from my sinful self centeredness I come to you as my saviour. I submit to you as my Lord. Give me strength to follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. Um, If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, please... Do be in touch, and um, you can find our uh, email on the website. And um, this is just the first in a series of um, talks looking at conversations Jesus had in John's Gospel. So, I look forward to welcoming you at Trinity Church, Woodcroft. Thanks for listening.